0: The text for the sermon this afternoon is from Matthew 1, verse 5a. There we read the word of the Lord. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that includes you boys and girls, the second woman mentioned in the geniality of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 1 is Rahab, Rahab the harlot of Jericho. To have a harlot, a prostitute, in one's family tree is not something one would brag about. And yet, the Spirit led the evangelist Matthew to mention Rahab in the geniality of our Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave this Canaanite prostitute an honoured position in the family tree of our Lord Jesus. Not so much because of what Rahab did, but because of what the Lord God did through Rahab. Rahab's is a testimony to the sovereign grace of God. God opened her heart, and God worked faith in her heart. That was a sovereign work of God. And furthermore, God used Rahab to open doors. He used her to open the door to the land of Canaan, so that his chosen people could go in and possess it. And he used her to open the door to the coming of the Messiah. God is the God who opens doors. When things look bad in a person's life, God can open a door and make all things well. When things look bad in general, God can open a door, lead his people through it, and make everything well for them. So I proclaim to you the Word of God under the following themes and points God opens the doors first place we see he opens the door of Rahab's heart and gives her faith. Second place, he opens the door of the land through Rahab's active faith. And in our final point, he opens the door towards Christ by gathering Rahab into the community of faith. The people of Israel had arrived at the doorway to the land the Lord God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land The lord had promised to the israelites when he brought them out of egypt out of a life of slavery once before they had stood at that doorway to the land it was 40 years earlier under the leadership of moses they had stood at the entrance to the promised land moses had sent 12 spies to spy out the land one man from each tribe you know the story but i'll be very brief the 12 spies had spent 40 days spying out the land. When they came back, 10 of the spies said, We cannot do it. We are not strong enough to take this land from the powerful nations that live in it. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, That is not true. We can do anything in the strength of God who makes us strong. But the people chose to listen to the 10. They said, We would rather die in the desert than fall by the sword. Oh, if only we had died in Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. And so the Lord, angry at their lack of faith in him, sentenced them to 40 years of life in the desert. One year for every day that the 12 spies had spent in the land. Numbers 13 and 14. Now the 40 years are over, and a new generation of Israelites is standing at the entrance to the land. They are encamped at a place called Shittim. Shittim? was on the north end of the Dead Sea, on the east side of the Jordan. It was not far from Jericho, as it was just across the River Jordan. The first city in the land of Canaan. Jericho had to be taken to gain a foothold in the land. Strategically, it was very important. It was not a very big city, as it only covered about 10 acres of land. But it was a powerful city, a fortress. It had a very thick wall going all the way around it and was built in a circle. Joshua, who had become the leader when Moses had died, sent two spies to Jericho. He said, go view the land, especially the city of Jericho. The spies crossed the river, came to Jericho, and entered the house of a prostitute called Rahab. Likely, Rahab ran a bit of an inn, a place where travelers could spend a night. Such a place would have been the best place for the spies to go, as they would just look like a couple of travelers. But some of the people at Jericho caught on that they were men of Israel. They went and told the king that some of the men of Israel were at Rahab's house. Surely, they had had come to search out the land. The king sent his men to Rahab's house to arrest the spies. But Rahab, suspecting that this might happen, had hidden the two men on the roof, of her house underneath a stack of flax that she had there to dry in joshua 2 verse 4 he she said to the king's men yes there were two men here but they are long gone already you better hurry and catch them and off went the king's men running towards the river jordan looking for the two spies why did rahab do this why did she turn the men of why didn't she turn them over to the men, uh, men of the king. Why didn't she say, the men you are looking for are hiding upstairs on the roof of my house? Maybe she would have gotten a reward. And wasn't this an act of treason? Harboring spies and betraying your own people is considered one of the most despicable crimes. The most severe punishment has been reserved for such treachery. If an aggressive nation were about to attack our country, and someone aided and abetted the spies who had come to search out our weak spots, we would have little compassion for that person. We would call him a Judas, a Benedict Arnold, and deal sternly with him to the fullest extent of the law. What are we going to say about Rahab and what motivated her? The fact is is that there's only one answer. She believed in the God of Israel. The Lord, in his mercy, in his sovereign grace, opened the door of this pagan prostitute's heart and gave her faith. She made a confession of her her faith in the Lord God. She made a good confession before two witnesses, which were the two spies. She said to the men in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. Rahab was referring to the events that happened 40 years earlier. It was 40 years earlier that God had dried up the water of the Red Sea, it was 40 years earlier that God had drowned Pharaoh and his armies, the world domination of the time in the Red Sea. It had been a number of years since Israel had defeated Sion and Og, the two mighty kings in battle. The people of Jericho of the whole land had heard about this people called Israel, who had such a mighty God. Travelers had heard about it, even merchants who had happened to come through Jericho and who perhaps may have even stayed at Rahab's establishment, and had brought the news of what was going on in the world. They told about this powerful nation with a powerful God, and now that nation, Israel, was standing on the banks of the Jordan River. These stories took a whole new significance. Rahab said in Joshua 2, verse 11, And when we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. The people at Jericho were scared half to death that Israel was no more than 20 kilometers just across the Jordan. That was one possible response to the news of Israel being in their backyard. That was one way to respond to the knowledge of the great deeds of God in history. Close, lock those gates. Let us do the best we can to defend our lives and our culture in the face of this dangerous God. That's how the people of Jericho responded, except Rahab. She responded differently. She recognized that the Lord, the God of Israel, was the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. Chapter 2, verse 11. That he was not a local God. All the nations and peoples of that day had their own gods. The gods were local, gods of a certain country or people, but Rahab recognized the God of Israel to be the only true God and a universal God of heaven and earth. Rahab made a choice. All the people of Jericho had made their choice, either for the God of Israel or against them. They all knew about the great redemptive deeds he had done for his people. They had all heard the report. But they chose to shut the gates and try to protect their culture and their religion. Except Rahab. She rejected her false religion and chose the one true God. She left the world and joined the church. She made the fundamental choice everyone has to make. Am I going to serve the Lord? Or am I going to serve the world? Am I going to give myself completely to Jesus Christ? Or am I going to keep Christ out of my life? And do what the world, what today's present culture wants me to do? Am I going to do what my sinful desires want me to do? Will it be thy will be done? Or will it be my will be done? We heard about the wonderful things God has done in history. In the Bible, we can read about the great redemptive deeds of God. We are in a much better position than Rahab because we know everything about the greatest redemptive deed ever done in history, the self-sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He opened the door of Rahab's heart and gave her faith. The same God is working to open your hearts. Through the same Spirit he sent to Rahab, he is now working in your hearts. Allow him to do that. Don't shut the gates like the people of Jericho did. Don't shut the gates in a desperate but useless attempt to protect your own selfish, sinful desires. It is a useless effort. What happened to Jericho? They made sure their gates were closed so that God couldn't get in it, and God knocked them down. He destroyed the city, and as a result, it fell under his curse. Anyone who insists upon keeping God out of his or her life will meet with a similar end. he he or she will meet with destruction under the curse of God. God is opening the door to your heart. Receive that work. Receive it in faith. Receive it with an active faith. A faith that produces the works of obedience. That brings us to point two. God opens the door of the land through Rahab's active faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, commends Rahab for what she did. We read there, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In Hebrews 11, we have a long list of Old Testament people of God who are mentioned as examples of faith. The cloud of witnesses that surround the church of all ages, encouraging the church. It's that chapter where it talks about the individuals like Abel, Enoch, Noah, all the way to Samson and David, and others, what they did in faith to further God's plan and place their trust in him. In that same chapter, two women are mentioned. There was Sarah and Rahab. Rahab is mentioned as an example of one who had faith. In verse 31, we read, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab is again mentioned in James 2, verse 25. James asks, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Rahab was proved to be a righteous woman by how she acted towards the messengers of God, the two spies. Her good works were proof that she was righteous by faith. These two texts, the one from Hebrews and James, show that Rahab had true faith in God. Her faith was an active faith. It was a faith that worked hard and a faith that bore good, righteous fruit. God used this active faith of Rahab to open the door of the land for his people. God didn't have to use Rahab, but in his good pleasure, he did. She protected the spies, and she hid them. She sent the king's men on a wild goose chase and gave the spies good advice. She told them where to hide in the hills and to stay there for three days before they returned to Joshua. Through this act of faith, this faithful behavior of Rahab, God kept the spies alive so that they could go back to his people with encouraging news. And the spies did. And the two of them came together with a unanimous report not like the one uh, that the 12 spies in 40 years earlier did. The spies went back to Joshua with a message that the land was theirs for the taking. They weren't even going to meet with any resistance at Jericho, the doorway to the land. They could report that ra- what Rahab had told them. At the end of Joshua 2, we read, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Seven times in Joshua 2, we can read the expression, the land. And we read it again in those few verses of chapter 6. God had promised his people a land. He had promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had promised it to Israel. or Sorry, he had promised it to the children of Israel. And now God was going to give it to them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land where they could be free from the oppression that they experienced in Egypt. It was a land where they could worship the Lord in accordance with his law. It was a land of rest. And Hebrews 4 says that Joshua gave the people rest. Rest from slavery. Rest from 40 years of wandering in the desert. God used Rahab to bring the people into the land. God used Joshua to bring him into the land. They both had their place in the working out of the plan of God for his people. God used Rahab. He used Joshua to give his Old Testament church rest. But we also know from Hebrews 4 that there is a better rest awaiting for the people of God. One which the better Joshua gives. And that better Joshua is our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Rahab. We have a land awaiting for us, a land in which we will rest from oppression, all misery and sadness. A land in which we will serve God faithfully for eternity. Through the faithful obedience of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of Rahab, God opens the door to the land. He opens it wide and no one can close it. And point three, God opens the door towards Christ by gathering Rahab into the community of faith. Before the spies left her house, she made them promise under oath that her and her family would be protected. They gave that promise. However, there was something she had to do. She had to hang a scarlet cord out of her window. Her house was built right into the city wall. So she let the spies down through the window by tying a scarlet cord in the window and letting them climb down. The spies told her, tie this cord In the window, gather your family into your house, and you will be safe. So what was the significance of Rahab's scarlet cord? It seems the color scarlet had erotic connotations. uh, For example, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 3, the bridegroom says uh, to his bride, your lips are like scarlet thread. And in Jeremiah 4, verse 30, where God takes his nation to task for prostituting herself, by going after other gods, the Lord asks, What do you mean that you dress in scarlet, that you deck yourselves with ornaments of gold, that you enlarge your eyes with paint? In Genesis 38:27 through 30, we read that the midwife distinguished between Tamar's twins by tying a scarlet thread around the finger of one of them. Tamar conceived them by pretending to be a prostitute. In Isaiah 1, verse 21, God accused his people of harlotry, and just prior to that, in verse 18, God says that their sins are like scarlet. Also, there is evidence that a scarlet cord was the mark of a prostitute. A prostitute lived and worked in the red rope district of the city. The interesting thing is that the Hebrew word for rope can also mean hope. It's exactly the same word in Hebrew. Here we see the, that Rahab's rope becomes her hope. Her red rope leads to the hope of, of salvation, salvation brought about by the red blood of Christ. God is a faithful God sorry, God is faithful to the promise his messengers made to Rahab. When he himself brought down the walls of Jericho as the Israelites were walking around them, he saved believing Rahab and her family. The Lord saved her from destruction. The whole city laid under a curse of God. But Rahab was saved from that curse. She had to spend several days outside the holy camp of Israel to undergo a purification ritual. But when that was complete, she joined a community of those who believed. She could experience the communion of saints by gathering with the Church of Christ. She married a man of the tribe of Judah called Salmon. And God continued to use her. She became a mother in Israel, a mother of the Messiah. God used her to continue opening the doors towards Christmas, towards the birth of our Lord Jesus. The geniality of Christ in Matthew 1 says says that Salmon and Rahab were the parents of Boaz, who was the husband of Ruth. The genealogy is rather selective. It doesn't mention each generation. A number of times, Matthew skips over several generations. So here's an example of that. Salmon and Rahab lived during the time of Israel when they entered the land. Boaz and Ruth lived quite some time later. Matthew skipped over several generations between Rahab and Boaz. The point which the evangelist Matthew is making is that God used Rahab to bring forth the Savior. From Rahab came forth Boaz. From Boaz came forth the family of Jesse and King David. And the royal house of King David came forth the Savior. Jesus was born. Jesus is the son of Rahab, the harlot. He He was born to suffer for the scarlet sins of his people. And he too, like his mother Rahab, had to go outside the camp. Because he bore the sins of his people, he had to suffer outside the camp and deal with them. In this way, the Lord Jesus Christ created a community, a community of faith. A community of those who believe in him, gather with him, and obey him. He has gathered us as well into that community. It is called the Church of Jesus Christ. You are members of that community. Are you a living member of that community? A member with an open heart, open to the gospel. A member open to obeying God. God is the God who opens doors. He opens the door of our hearts and works faith in our hearts. He has opened a door to his eternal promised land of rest for all those who belong to Christ. Today, we may already begin that enjo- uh, enjoying that eternal rest by being gathered into the church of christ amen